Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. Excuse me. Great pleasure now to welcome to Viewpoints, Andrew Russell. Andrew Russell has uh, authored uh, his first novel, Intelligent Consent. This was just uh, published earlier this year. It's a paperback, tale publishing of the publishers. Twenty nine ninety five is the is the um, cost to you. Uh, and an interesting backstory to Andrew Russell. He was originally from Leeds in the UK, and he he did his Bachelor of Engineering and PhD honours degrees at University of Liverpool. Uh, he had a very successful career in academia. Uh, his interests are the design of robotic mechanisms and robot learning. And after he migrated to Australia in uh, 82, he spent the rest of his working life as a university academic researching robot sensors. Uh, so there's a segue from uh, researching in academia on robots to writing uh, a sort of a science fiction book about uh, aspects of that. Uh, welcome to Viewpoints, Andy Russell. Ah, oh, thank you very much, Henry. I'm pleased to be on your program. Ah, oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. And uh, uh, someone interested uh, in robots, engineering, uh, segues into a career in writings. I guess science fiction of a sort in uh, in robotics. Uh, why the change? Well, <clears throat> I guess that uh, when I finished uh, my career as a lecturer, um, I'd always been interested in uh, science fiction, and uh, yeah, I thought it was a good challenge, an interesting, as you say, an interesting segue into something different, and. Uh, yeah, something that I could do in my retirement. Mm, well, uh, rather than retirement these days, Andy, we call it, uh, what is it, a change of direction. Now, um, reading through your, your background, it's always fascinating as to the paths and the reasons to why we are where we are. And uh, apparently your mother, uh, your mother's recollections of your youth uh, tell us uh, some clues as to how you ended up in engineering in the first place, really. You might like to elaborate. That's right. I mean, this is before the time that I can remember, but she said that uh, as a young child, sort of crawling around on the floor, I would unscrew the knobs on any cabinets or drawers. Obviously, I had an interest in what holds the knob on and, you know, what happens if you turn it. Mm. And and you're really reading, reading such an important part. And as a member in the education fraternity, reading really is, is the start of learning. You were very interested early on in science fiction. And uh, there's a couple of authors there that uh, I shared uh, an interest in their books, Jules Verne and uh, particularly Isaac Asimov. Uh, uh, your fascination with science fiction, can you, can you trace that to anything? Um, well... I don't know whether it's relevant, but I remember in primary school, I had, uh, I remember a book, and it had an alarm clock with a face, and it used to talk. And I was fascinated by this talking alarm clock. And I actually uh, tried to make one, you know, cutting an alarm clock out of cardboard. Of course, it couldn't speak. But I think at the time, you know, I was interested in mechanical things which could talk. And uh, I don't know if that's the origin, but certainly it's something I strongly remember. 
Now, now moving through your career to this book, you've you've had a career in engineering, robotics, uh, interests in particular things such as humanoid robotics, artificial intelligence, which fascinates I think a lot of us, including myself. Intelligent consent. Tell us about the book. Okay. Well, I suppose the initial idea came from what I read about a guy called. Uh, um, Kurzweil and uh, uh, Ray Kurzweil. He's, uh, let's see, he's the director of engineering at Google. But I knew of him a long time before that because he developed a machine which would read books to people, uh, to sight impaired people. It's a bit like a photocopier. You could lay a book on it, <clears throat> it would scan it and speak it. And this was uh, a long time before such things were, were generally available. And I thought, you know, he developed the scanner, the software for interpreting the, the image, converting it into speech. I thought, yeah, that's really a very um, fantastic piece of engineering. That was the first time that I came across him. And now he's uh, a futurologist which is he goes to conferences and he tells people how he sees things will develop in the future. And one of his predictions, he, he's got uh, lots of predictions, mm. but he predicts that in the future it could be possible to download a person's brain into a computer or into some silicon chip uh, and make them almost um, uh, immortal. And so... That's the sort of key idea, the fact, the, the idea that you could in some way scan somebody's brain, download it into uh, their computer, and make them immortal. So, so I was thinking, you know, um, from the point of view of the machine that has somebody's intelligence downloaded into it, what would it be like for that machine, you know? In some ways, it thinks that it's just like a human. But as in the story, uh, it would soon realize that it doesn't have any rights. Um, so if somebody came and unplugged it, essentially killing it, um, you know, uh, there's nothing to stop people doing that. There's no laws about allowing um, this kind of intelligence to continue to exist. And so that's one of the key uh, sort of themes in the book, that uh, this uh, robot, who I've called Rob, mm. uh, feels very much um, as though he's got no real right to an opinion or to a continued um, ability to exist. So he's always on a sort of a knife edge about uh, what's going to happen to him in the future. It's it's a it's a fascinating theme, and um, it uh, it reminds me to some extent uh, in the latter years of uh, one of our most famous astrophysicist mathematicians, um, Professor Stephen Hawking, who sadly uh, suffered was ravaged his body was ravaged by motor neuron, and he lived uh, quite surprisingly uh, to to mm. an old age, and by the end of his life. He was little more than a brain, wasn't he? Mm, that's true, yes. And, and yes. 
of course, he was a human and he had those rights, but uh, yeah, to what extent would that uh, character robot you called Rob actually, how, how exact would he be in terms of uh, the way it operated compared to uh, the person whose brain had been downloaded? I mean, that of itself is a fascinating idea. Hmm. Well, I suppose that I was imagining that once uh, a person's brain was scanned and downloaded, that initially the downloaded person or, or robot would feel exactly like the original human. In fact, in my story, that's how it uh, starts, that um, somebody or something wakes up and doesn't realise that it is in fact a robot because it wasn't expecting that um, the downloaded scan of somebody's brain would end up in a robot. That wasn't the original intention. So um, Rob, who is the robot, has no clue that he's not human. And it only sort of dawns on him over time that that's what's happened. And it does open up that entire area, doesn't it, um, uh, Andy, of uh, the ethics and the morality surrounding artificial intelligence? Yes, that's true. I mean, um, you could imagine that uh, somebody could program a computer so that from the outside it would appear to be human. So it could be programmed to have all the correct responses. But you, would, you wouldn't think of the computer as being um, on the same level as the human being. No, it's really just um, a script which goes through and says, if somebody asks me this, this is what I reply. But in this story, I try to make it as close to being human as possible. So if somebody takes a scan of a, a person's brain and simulates that in a computer, that must be as close as we can get to an artificial intelligence or hu human intelligence. Mm. That was where I wanted to come from, that there wouldn't be any question of, oh, it's just pretending to be human or pretending to be intelligent. You know, it's pretty much certain that it is intelligent. Oh, fascinating. Um, there's so much more we need to chat. Can you hold the line, uh, Andy? Absolutely, yes. Welcome back to Viewpoints. This is I'm your host, Andrew Grossick. I'm in a discussion with Andrew Russell, who's uh, just authored uh, a science fiction novel called Intelligent Consent, following a very successful career in academia, focusing on uh, robotics uh, and many other things, engineering. Welcome back, Andy. Thanks. Hi. Andy, uh, as you wrote this book, uh, given that it's science fiction, I guess, uh, in, in that that's the genre it comes under, and given that you're exploring, uh, taking it down paths that uh, uh, are so exploratory, um, in writing the book, did, did that journey of itself present uh, all sorts of uh, weird and wonderful impasses and directions and changes of thought? Oh, yes. Uh, when I started to write the book, I probably wrote the first three chapters, 
which isn't, portion isn't very much. And I had no idea where the story was going to go to. Um, then eventually I decided where the story was going to end up, but I wasn't at all sure how I was going to get from the end of the third chapter to the, the final goal. And it just sort of evolved. Uh, I think that uh, in the writing fraternity, this is called a panther. Oh, writing yes. by the seat of your pants. <laughs> 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 so so ra- rather than having everything planned out, you know, before you start to write, say, you know, this is the order of the chapters and this is what's going to happen mm-hmm. in each chapter. And now we'll fill in the details in between. I was just being led by the story, really. I had a vague goal in the future, or in the distance, but heading towards it, I wasn't at all sure how I was going to get there, and it developed along the way. A bit like life in general for many of us in many of our circumstances, Andy. Yeah, that's true. Now, now um, a point of this which fascinates me is that moving beyond your novel, because you're talking about uh, a topic there, science fiction, and so much uh, of science fiction of yesterday is reality of today. Um, mm-hmm. From your from your long background in, in, in this field, where are we heading to and where do you see the end point or the next few points in the development of robots and artificial intelligence? Okay, I have to turn myself into a Ray Kurzweil and be a futurologist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I would say that predicting the future is extremely difficult. Um, I've got a little iPod, and just thinking back to when I started, uh, when I left school, the technology that was available then, if I could take back my iPod and say, hey, little thing here, contains billions of transistors, it's got a touch screen, it's got a wireless communication, it will store zillions of songs, you know, um, nobody would have believed me. They would say, this is, you know, can't possibly be true. Uh, so nobody predicted that. Uh, but they did predict lots of other things. And so now we have iPods, but some of the other things that have been predicted haven't come to pass. So it's very difficult to predict the future. Um, in my story, um, I think they, the uh, mechanism of robots will improve uh, gradually. So now we have robots that can, can walk, can jump, um, can last, uh, the batteries can last a reasonable length of time. So perhaps we're getting towards the robot mechanism being available. The artificial intelligence, um, well, that too will will develop over time, but I think there's a huge distance to go. And whether we'll be able to have a self-aware robot, which has the self-awareness that we have, I think that is a key question, which um, I can't really answer that. Mm, no, it's a fascinating topic and uh, people 
uh, speculate on all sorts of things. Uh, one school of thought, uh, and I refer again to Stephen Hawking, his view was that it was entirely possible that one day, and he couldn't put a year date on it, obviously, uh, he, he felt that uh, artificial intelligence robots may well challenge human beings, and he saw the point at which they could replicate themselves as if that were possible, as a tipping point. That would be fascinating if that were to happen, wouldn't it? It certainly would. And, uh, no, I, I wouldn't uh, go out and limb and say that that couldn't happen. No. Um, as we, you know, like uh, sitting in my room here, I've got a 3D printer. Uh, so um, I could print robot parts. Uh if a factory was made containing things like 3D printers, laser cutters, and these sorts of things, that could probably manufacture robots. And um, if a central computer could have had control of that, then perhaps it could reproduce um, uh, robots with no human input. Mm, fascinating type. Um, a sequel. Is there likely to be a sequel to this book or not? Well, when I finished writing it, um, I couldn't quite see how things were going to develop. So I started writing a completely different story. Uh, but then over time, I thought, hmm, yes, I can see how it might develop. So at the moment, yes, I'm uh, working on a sequel. And we look forward to getting that. Now, you, you, you mentioned in some of your writing, and it's so true, technology is advancing much faster than government governing regulations uh, and also uh, understanding what should be the ethical and, I guess, moral implications of creating uh, closer and closer to human uh, robots. Uh, that of itself is an area for great inquiry and to some degree um, we're chasing, what was it you said, the pans of flying by the seat of our pants, we're creating a technology <laughs> yes, yes. and the catch-up is in the ethical dilemmas that uh, we're creating by doing that. That's true. I think that um, I can see it from the point of view of the government that they can't go having futurologists saying, oh, you should have legislation for this possibility, probably 90% mm. of the things that a futurologist would suggest would never come to pass, and the, the sort of um, laws would get cluttered up with laws that uh, deal with things which never came to pass. So they do have to be a little bit behind the latest development, but hopefully not too far behind, so that, you know, things like... Um, uh, intelligent robots that they have somebody at least thinking about it and uh, uh, getting ready some legislation to put in place. I mean, if it was, I mean, there are people working on um, transitioning people's minds into uh, computers. Uh, some of these, I'm not sure that um, uh, they're going to do the trick. Uh, for instance, uh, I think one group are taking a braid and slicing it up, taking very thin slices, scanning them, and they're getting a computer to work out how everything's connected together. Which I can see that it's possible they could do that, 
But I think in the end, what they do is they have a model of a dead brain. Mm, so, you know, interesting. They've worked, they've worked out the connections in a dead brain, but then how do you get it to actually to live? So perhaps I think that approach is a bit of a dead end. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> it just came to me, yes. Um, uh, but there uh, are people time, who, time. who are doing uh, MRI scans, as mentioned in my novel. Yes. And um, yeah, I think that has a better chance of success because it's actually working out how a living brain is functioning. Mm, fascinating possibilities. Time's got away from us, uh, Andy. Uh, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you, and it's a fascinating book that uh, it, it's it's more than a book in itself. It raises uh, a lot of uh, fascinating questions about the direction of humanity uh, and uh, and artificial intelligence. Mm. Oh, thanks for having me on your program. My pleasure. Um, that was uh, Andrew Russell, the author of uh, Intelligent Consent, published by Tail. It's out there, twenty nine ninety five. Uh, certainly worth a, a read uh, for a variety of reasons, listeners. We'll take a short break. Don't go away. Mm-hmm. 